So the word of the Lord from Joshua chapter 24. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I signed the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you, and you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam, so he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites. But I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you, also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil, and cities you did not build, and you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Now, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, 
he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, Then Joshua said, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people, each to their own inheritance. This is the word of the Lord. When I was in college, I spent two years living with some friends in an old, pretty janky house in the East Town neighborhood of Grand Rapids. Situated on Bemis and Giddings, we simply called it the Bemis House. And it was the first time that any of us had really lived in a house of our own, away from parents and out of the dorms. And so we took this newfound adulthood and responsibility very seriously. We'd all lived with roommates in the dorms with varying levels of success. And so we knew that we were in charge of how successful this living arrangement would be. So during our first week in the Bemis house, we gathered around our dining room table, seated on our mismatched chairs, drinking water from mason jar glasses, and we drafted the Bemis house roommate agreement. One part of the agreement included a cleaning schedule, assigning each person an area of the house to clean every week, and listing what exactly was involved in cleaning that area, right down to wiping the blinds. The other part of this agreement, this covenant, were the rules and guidelines we felt would help us live together in harmony. So this included things like tell everyone if you're going to invite a friend or significant other over. We would have family dinner once a week. Or when people are studying in common areas, if you're also there, listen to music or TV with headphones on. There were also some very specific rules, and for whatever reason, the only ones I can remember are mine. <laughs> At one of them, every time I would go home to St. Catharines or my parents would come visit, I would get a wedge of cheese from Ramacher's Dutch store in St. Catharines. And I was very protective of this cheese. <laughs> so don't eat Laura's cheese was on our roommate agreement. I also had a mattress that was slightly longer than the box spring it sat on. So if you sat on the end of the bed, the whole mattress would tip up behind you and would cause chaos in my very small room, right? So don't sit on the end of Laura's bed was also on our roommate agreement. <laughs> all things to help us live well together. 
And every once in a while, we would gather around our table and review this roommate agreement, this covenant. Did it all still make sense? Did we need to add anything? Were we, in fact, all abiding by the rules? And having refreshed our memory and renewed our commitment to this house covenant, we carried on and had two exceptionally delightful years together. The the event that takes place in Joshua 24 is a covenant renewal ceremony. God first made a covenant with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai when he gave Moses the Ten Commandments and all of the laws of how the people were to live in obedience to him. Having rescued the Israelites from Egypt and brought them into the wilderness, God begins here a new chapter with the people. He promises to be Israel's God, to protect them, to love them, to fulfill his promises to them, to make them into a great nation, to bring them to the land that he promised their forefathers, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. In return, Israel promises to serve God and no one else to obey his laws and commandments, to worship God according to the practices that he lays out for them, and to honor and glorify God in everything they do. And so God enacts this covenant with the people. I will do this if you do this then in return. This is how we will live in right relationship with one another. The Israelites, of course, don't follow God's law perfectly, as they wander in the wilderness for 40 years, which was, after all, a punishment for not keeping their end of things, there are more than a few missteps and betrayals. But on the whole, as they cross the Jordan River and enter the Promised Land, they are a pretty obedient people. They have to be. They need God. Joshua chapter 5 through 12 recounts every enemy that Israel had to defeat in order to take the promised land. The Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Jebusites, the Hivites, and the Canaanites. Chapter 12 lists all of the kings that Israel and Joshua defeated, and there are 31 of them just listed in a row. The people knew that they could do none of this without God. So they were obedient. They fulfilled their end of the covenant. They made sure God would go with them. But now, now the land has been taken and divided out amongst the tribes of Israel. And so now the people can rest. The people are secure. They are safe. They are victorious. And God knows, just like we know, that when everything is hunky-dory, it's easy to forget about God, to think we don't need God, to turn away from God. So as this new chapter begins in the life of Israel, it's time to revisit the covenant to remind the people of their relationship with God, what that looks like, to remind the people what they have committed to, and to call the people to continue to place God at the forefront of their lives. 
So Joshua gathers the people, representatives of all the people, the elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and he gathers them at Shechem. And this is not accidental. This is an important place in the history of Israel because it's in Shechem where God first makes his covenant to Abraham, where he tells Abraham that he will give this land to Abraham's descendants one day. So it's only fitting then that it's here in Shechem where this, in this place where Abraham's descendants have now settled, where God renews this covenant. So the ceremony begins with a recounting of God's faithfulness to the people. God speaks through Joshua, reminding the people that it is God, not the people, who has brought them to this place. God tells of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob of how he rescued the people from Egypt, how he delivered the people from their enemies in the wilderness, how he defeated their enemies in the promised land and gave the cities and land over to the Israelites. Over and over and over again in these verses, God emphasizes his action, his power. I brought you out of Egypt. I gave the people into your hands. I destroyed them before you. I gave you a land on which you did not toil. In other words, God has kept his part of the covenant. So Joshua calls the people to be faithful in turn. Fear the Lord and serve him in faithfulness. Throw away any other God, any holdover you might have from older days or any God that your new neighbors are now waving in your face and serve God alone. And it's interesting here that Joshua gives the people a choice, right? He doesn't want them to be wishy-washy, to be lukewarm or half-hearted. If you are choosing God, he says, then you are choosing God. If you want something else, this is your moment to walk away. But as for me and my household, we are choosing God. And so the, the people, stirred and moved by this, they declare as one that, of course, we will serve the Lord. And then we get this really intense back and forth between Joshua and the people, right? The people say, yes, we know God is faithful. Yes, we will serve God. They are gung-ho. They are on fire. And that's not good enough for Joshua because Joshua knows these people. Joshua presses these people. You really have to mean it. He challenges them. He knows how fickle they are. So he says, I, I, don't think, I don't think you can serve God alone. I don't think you're up to it. And if you don't, he will bring disaster on you. If you do not keep your end of the covenant, don't expect God to keep his. And so the, the people clamor all the louder, no, no, we will serve the Lord. We will do this. All right, says Joshua. You heard it here, folks. You are witnesses to this promise that you have made. If it all goes wrong, on your heads be it. And then Joshua calls them to an immediate fulfillment of this promise they have made. Throw out your foreign gods and yield your hearts to God. Then he writes it all up. Everything the people have said 
in the book of the law. There's a record of this. And he erects a stone to serve as witness to this covenant. And then he sends the people off to live according to this covenant throughout the land God has given them. We know, of course, that the people don't live up to their end of the covenant. Over and over again, the people rebel against God. They choose to follow the gods of their enemies. They choose their own path over God's. And so God keeps his word. He brought disaster upon the people, giving Israel's enemies the victory, allowing the Babylonians and the Assyrians to remove Israel from the promised land and take the people into exile. But we also know that that's not how things ended, that God did something new, that God wrote a new chapter for Israel and created a new covenant. God created a new covenant by which salvation does not rely on our obedience, but on God's faithfulness. A new covenant where God in Christ took on all the punishment his people deserved so that God's people can continue to live peacefully in God's presence. A new covenant where we are called to obedience, not out of fear, but out of faithfulness and gratitude. And you and I know that we're pretty bad at living in faithful obedience. We are people of the covenant who so rarely keep our end of things. We turn to other gods, the gods of money, power, prestige, and pride. We give in to our human impulses, as our prayer of confession said, our foolishness. We lie and gossip and make fun of people and cheat. We care more about being cool and respected than we do about being faithful. We care more about being right than we do about being a good neighbor. We care more about ourselves than we do about others. Every day, every week, we slip up. And in this pattern of sin, if this was all we knew, if God just gave us up to this way of being, to this rebellion, how easy it would be for our sins to grow, for our path to take us even farther from God. But God does not give up on us. He made a covenant after all. So God calls us, brings us to a place to renew the covenant. Every week, whenever we gather for worship, we are renewing this covenant. There aren't a lot of models for what worship should look like in Scripture, but Joshua 24 is one of them. Much of our worship services look like this covenant renewal ceremony. 
We are gathered into God's presence as one people. God speaks through a leader and reminds us of his faithfulness, of his love, of his grace. We respond by confessing our lack of faithfulness and we commit ourselves again to obedience. And we go out to love and serve the Lord. We are dismissed to our different corners of the world to live in that obedience. Worship is a covenant renewal ceremony. Just as housemates gather every once in a while to recommit to the guidelines we've established, just as a couple might renew their vows to remember and recommit themselves to each other, just as an employer might gather her fractured team around the conference table and remind them of their shared mission and purpose, God gathers us in his presence to remind us of who he is and who we are and how we are to live in relationship with him. So, says Howard Vanderwell and Norma DeWall Malafite, when God graciously assembles us in his presence and recounts his saving acts for us, we are not merely receiving information or acquiring greater knowledge or even simply praising God. Rather, God calls us to commitment of renewal that involves obedience. Our commitments to renewed obedience are based on our covenant identity as the people of God. And the good news is this. When we are sent out to live in obedience, we do so with God's blessing. With the sure and certain knowledge that God goes with us, giving us the power and strength, the wisdom and discernment, the love and grace to follow his commands. When we stumble, he will pick us up. When we feel frail, he will empower us. And when we mess up, he will yet be there, calling us back to him, inviting us to repent, to receive forgiveness, to dedicate ourselves again, to receive from him again as we commit ourselves again and again and again to the one who is faithful, to the one who is worthy of our worship. Would you pray with me? And so, holy God, we commit ourselves to you. We give you thanks that your faithfulness is greater than our own and that you invite us to return when we go astray, that you forgive us when we fall, that you empower us to live differently. Help us to live in obedience, to serve you and you alone, so that in everything we say and do, we might honor and glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.